Chapter Twenty Three of the Wrecker. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading done by Jules Harlock. The Wrecker by Robert Louis Stevenson. Chapter Twenty Three, Part Two. The Budget of the Currency Lass. In these vast and solitary waters, to be dismasted is perhaps the worst calamity. Let the ship turn turtle and go down, and at least the pang is over. But men chained on a hulk may pass months scanning the empty sea line and counting the steps of death's invisible approach. There is no help but in the boats, and what a help is that? There heaved the currency lass, for instance, a wingless lump, and the nearest human coast, that of Kauai in the sandwiches, lay about a thousand miles to the south and east of her. Over the way there, to men contemplating that passage in an open boat, all kinds of misery and the fear of death and of madness brooded. A serious company sat down to breakfast but the captain helped his neighbors with a smile. Now, boys, he said, after a pull at the hot coffee, we're done with this currency lass, and no mistake. One good job. We made her pay while she lasted, and she paid first rate, and if we were to try our hand again, we can try in style. Another good job. We have a fine, stiff, roomy boat, and you know who you have to thank for that. We've got six lives to save and a pot of money, and the point is, where are we to take em? It's all two thousand miles to the nearest sandwiches, I fancy, observed Mac. No, not so bad as that, returned the captain, but it's bad enough, rather better than a thousand. I know a man who once did twelve hundred in a boat, said Mac and he had all he wanted. He fetched ashore in the Marquesas, and never set a foot on anything floating from that day to this. He said he would rather put a pistol to his head, and knock his brains out. Aye, aye, said Wicks. Well, I remember a boat's crew that made this very island of Kauai, and from just about where we lie, or a bit further, when they got up with the land, they were clean crazy. There was an iron-bound coast and an old Bob Ridley of a surf on. The natives hailed them from fishing boats and sung out it couldn't be done at the money. Much they cared. There was the land. That was all they knew. And they turned to and drove the boat slap ashore in the thick of it and was all drowned but one. No, boat trips are my eye concluded the captain gloomily the tone was surprising in a man of his indomitable temper come captain said carthew you have something else up your sleeve out with it it's a fact admitted wicks you see there's a raft of little bally reefs about here kind of chicken pox on the chart well i look em all up and there's one midway or brooks they call it not forty mile from our assigned position that i got news of 
It turns out it's a coaling station of the Pacific Mail, he said simply. Well, and I know it ain't no such thing, said Mac. I've been quartermaster in that line myself. All right, returned Wicks. There's the book. Read what Hoyt says. Read it aloud and let the others hear. Hoyt's falsehoods, as readers know, was explicit. Incredulity was impossible, and the news itself delightful beyond hope. Each saw in his mind's eye the boat drawn into a trim island with a wharf, coal sheds, gardens, the stars and stripes, and the white cottage of the keeper, saw themselves idle a few weeks in tolerable quarters, and then stepped on board the China Mail, romantic waifs, and yet with pocketfuls of money, calling for champagne, and waited on by troops of stewards, breakfast that had begun so dully ended amid sober jubilation and all hands turned immediately to prepare the boat now that all spars were gone it was no easy job to get her launched some of the necessary cargo was first stowed on board the specie in particular being packed in a strong chest and secured with lashing to the after thwart in case of a capsize then a piece of bulwark was raised to the level of the deck and the boat swung thwartship made fast with a slack line to either stump and successfully run out for a voyage of forty miles to hospitable quarters not much food or water was required, but they took both in superfluity. Amalu and Mac, both ingrained sailor men, had chests which were the headquarters of their lives. Two more chests with handbags, oilskins, and blankets supplied the others. Hayden, amid general applause, added the last case of brown sherry. The captain brought the log instruments and chronometer nor did hempstead forget the banjo or a pinned handkerchief of butaritari shells it was about three p m when they pushed off and the wind being still westerly fell to the oars well we've got the guts out of you was the captain's nodded farewell to the hulk of the currency lass which presently shrank and faded in the sea a little after a calm succeeded with much rain and the first meal was eaten and the watch below lay down to their uneasy slumber on the bilge under the roaring shower bath the twenty-ninth dawned overhead from out of ragged clouds there is no moment when a boat at sea appears so trenchantly black and so conspicuously little and the crew looked about them at the sky and water with a thrill of loneliness and fear when sunrise the trade set in lusty and true to the point sail was made the boat flew and by about four in the afternoon they were well up with the closed part of the reef and the captain standing on the thwart and holding by the mast was studying the island through the binoculars well where's your station cried mac i don't some way pick it up replied the captain no nor never will retorted mac with a clang of despair and triumph in his tones the truth was soon plain to all 
no buoys no beacons no lights no coal no station the castaways pulled through a lagoon and landed on an isle where was no mark of man but wreckwood and no sound but of the sea the sea-fowl that harbored and lived there at the epoch of my visit were then scattered into the uttermost parts of the ocean and had left no traces of their sojourn besides dropped feathers and addled eggs it was to this they had been sent for this they had stooped all night over the dripping oars hourly moving further from relief the boat for as small as it was was yet eloquent of the hands of men a thing alone indeed upon the sea but yet in itself all human and the isle for which they had exchanged it was ingloriously savage a place of distress solitude and hunger unrelieved there was a strong glare and shadow of the evening over all in which they sat or lay not speaking careless even to eat men swindled out of life and riches by a lying book in the great good nature of the whole party no word of reproach had been addressed to hayden the author of these disasters but the new blow was less magnanimously borne and many angry glances rested on the captain yet it was himself who roused them from their lethargy grudgingly they obeyed drew the boat beyond tide-mark and followed him to the top of the miserable islet whence a view was commanded of the whole wheel of the horizon then part darkened under the coming night part died with the hues of the sunset and populous with the sunset clouds here the camp was pitched and a tent run up with the oars sails and mast and here amalu at no man's bidding from the mere instinct of habitual service built a fire and cooked a meal night was come and the stars and the silver sickle of a new moon beamed overhead before the meal was ready the cold sea shone upon them and the fire glowed in their faces as they ate tommy had opened his case and the brown sherry went the round but it was long before they came to conversation well is it to be Kauai after all asked mac suddenly this is bad enough for me said tommy let's stick it out where we are well i can tell ye one thing said mac if ye care to hear it when i was in the china mail we once made this island it is in the course from honolulu deuce it is cried carthew that settles it then let's stay we must keep good fires going and there's plenty of wreck lashings of wreck said the irishman there's nothing here but wreck and coffin boards but we'll have to make a proper blaze objected hemstead you can't see a fire like this not any way away i mean can't you said carthew look round they did and saw the hollow of the night the bare bright face of the sea and the stars regarding them and the voices died in their bosoms at the spectacle in that huge isolation it seemed they must be visible from china on the one hand and california on the other my god it's dreary whispered hemstead 
dreary cried mac and fell suddenly silent it's better than a boat anyway said hayden i've had my belly full of boat what kills me is that species the captain broke out think of all that riches four thousand in gold bad silver and short bills all found money too and no more use than that much dung i'll tell you one thing said tommy i don't like it being in the boat i don't care to have it so far away why who's to take it cried mac with a guffaw of evil laughter but this was not at all the feeling of the partners who rose clambered down the aisle brought back the inestimable treasure chest slung upon two oars and set it conspicuous in the shining of the fire there's my beauty cried wicks viewing it with a cocked head that's better than a bonfire what we have a chest here and bills for close upon two thousand pounds there's no show to that it would go in your vest pocket but the rest upwards of forty pounds at vertipoi of coined gold and close on two hundred weight of chilly silver what ain't that a good enough to fetch a fleet do you mean to say that won't affect the ship's compass do you mean to tell me that the lookout won't turn to and smell it he cried mac who had no part nor lot in the bills the forty pounds of gold or the two hundred weight of silver heard this with impatience and fell into a bitter choking laughter you'll see he said harshly you'll be glad to feed them bills into the fire before you're through with it and he turned passed by himself out of the ring of the firelight and stood gazing seaward his speech and his departure extinguished instantly those sparks of better humor kindled by the dinner and the chest the group fell again to an ill-favored silence and hempstead began to touch the banjo as was his habit of an evening his repertory was small the chords of home sweet home fell under his fingers and when he had played the symphony he instinctively raised up his voice be it never so humble there's no place like home he sang the last word was still upon his lips when the instrument was snatched from him and dashed into the fire and he turned with a cry to look into the furious countenance of mac i'll be damned if i stand this cried the captain leaping up belligerent i told ye i was a violent man said mac with a movement of deprecation very surprising in one of his character why don't he give me a chance then haven't we enough to bear the way we are and to the wonder and dismay of all the man choked upon a sob it's ashamed of meself i am he said presently his irish accent twentyfold increased i ask all your pardons for me violence and especially the little man's who is a harmless creature and hears me hand to him if he'll condescend to take me by it so this scene of barbarity and sentimentalism passed off leaving behind strange and incongruous impressions true everyone was perhaps glad when silence succeeded that all too appropriate music 
true Mac's apology and subsequent behavior rather raised him in the opinion of his fellow castaways. But the discordant note had been struck, and its harmonics tingled in the brain. In that savage, houseless isle, the passions of man had sounded, if only for the moment, and all men trembled at the possibilities of horror. It was determined to stand watch and watch in case of passing vessels, and Tommy, on fire with an idea, volunteered to stand the first. The rest crawled under the tent and were soon enjoying that comfortable gift of sleep, which comes everywhere and to all men, quenching anxieties and speeding time. And no sooner were all settled, no sooner had the drone of many snores begun to mingle with and overcome the surf, than Tommy stole from his post with a case of sherry and dropped it in a quiet cove in a fathom of water. But the stormy inconstancy of Mac's behavior had no connection with a gill or two of wine. His passions, angry and otherwise, were on a different sail plan from his neighbors, and there were possibilities of good and evil in that hybrid Celt beyond their prophecy. About two in the morning, the starry sky, or so it seemed, for the drowsy watchman had not observed the approach of any cloud, brimmed over in a deluge, and for three days it rained without remission. The islet was a sponge, the castaway sops, the view all gone, even the reef concealed behind the curtain of the falling water. The fire was soon drowned out, after a couple of boxes of matches had been scratched in vain. It was decided to wait for better weather, and the party lived in wretchedness on raw tins and a ration of hard bread. By the 2nd February, in the dark hours of the morning watch, the clouds were all blown by, the sun rose glorious, and once more the castaways sat by a quick fire and drank hot coffee with the greed of brutes and sufferers. Thenceforward their affairs moved in a routine. A fire was constantly maintained, and this occupied one hand continuously, and the others for an hour or so in the day. Twice a day all hands bathed in the lagoon, their chief almost their only pleasure. Often they fished in the lagoon with good success, and the rest was passed in lolling, strolling, yarns, and disputation. The time of the China steamers was calculated to a nicety. Which done, the thought was rejected and ignored. It was one that would not bear consideration. The boat voyage, having been tacitly set aside, the desperate part chosen to wait there for the coming of help or of starvation, no man had courage left to look his bargain in the face, far less to discuss it with his neighbors. But the unuttered terror haunted them. In every hour of idleness, at every moment of silence, it returned and breathed a chill about the circle, and carried men's eyes to the horizon. Then, in a panic of self-defense, they would rally to some other subject, and, in that lone spot, what else was to be found to speak of but the treasure? That was indeed the chief singularity, 
the one thing conspicuous in their island life the presence of that chest of bills and species dominated the mind like a cathedral and there were besides connected with it certain irking problems well fitted to occupy the idle two thousand pounds were due to the sydney firm two thousand pounds were clear profit and fell to be divided in varying proportions among six it had been agreed how the partners were to range every pound of capital subscribed every pound that fell due in wages was to count for one lay of these tommy could claim five hundred and ten carthew one hundred and seventy wicks one hundred and forty and hemstead and amalu ten apiece eight hundred and forty lays in all what was the value of a lay this was at first debated in the air and chiefly by the strength of tommy's lungs then followed a series of incorrect calculations from which they issued arithmetically foiled but agreed from weariness upon an approximate value of two pounds seven shillings seven and a quarter pence the figures were admittedly incorrect the sum of the shares came not to two thousand pounds but to one thousand nine hundred and ninety six pounds six shillings three pounds fourteen shillings thus being left unclaimed but it was the nearest they had yet found and the highest as well so that the partners were made the less critical by the contemplation of their splendid dividends wicks put in one hundred pounds and stood to draw captain's wages for two months his taking was three hundred and thirty three pounds three shillings six and a half pence carthew had put in a hundred and fifty pounds he was to take out four hundred and one pounds eighteen shillings six and a half pence tommy's five hundred pounds had grown to be twelve hundred and thirteen pounds twelve shillings nine and three-quarter pence and amalu and hempstead ranking for wages only had twenty-two pounds sixteen shillings one-half pence each from talking and brooding on these figures it was but a step to opening the chest and once the chest opened the glamour of the cash was irresistible each felt that he must see his treasure separate with the eye of flesh handle it in the hard coin mark it for his own and stand forth to himself the approved owner and here an insurmountable difficulty barred the way there were some seventeen shillings in english silver the rest was chilly and the chilly dollar which had been taken at the rate of six to the pound sterling was practically their smallest coin it was decided therefore to divide the pounds only and to throw the shillings pence and fractions in a common fund this with the three pound fourteen already in the heel made a total of seven pounds one shilling i'll tell you said wicks let carthew and tommy and me take one pound apiece and hempstead and amalu split the other four and toss up for the odd bob oh rot said carthew tommy and i are bursting already we can take half a sov each 
and let the other three have forty shillings. I'll tell you now, it's not worth splitting, broke in Mac. I've cards in my chest. Why don't you play for the slump sum? In that idle place, the proposal was accepted with delight. Mac, as the owner of the cards, was given a stake. The sum was played for in five games of cribbage. And when Amalu, the last survivor in the tournament, was beaten by Mac, it was found the dinner hour was past. After a hasty meal, they fell again immediately to cards, this time on Carthew's proposal to Van John. It was then probably 2 p.m. of the 9th February, and they played with varying chances for twelve hours, slept heavily, and rose late on the morrow to resume the game. All day of the 10th, with grudging intervals for food, and with one long absence on the part of Tommy from which he returned dripping with the case of sherry, they continued to deal and stake. Night fell. They drew the closer to the fire. It was maybe two in the morning, and Tommy was selling his deal by auction, as usual with that timid player, when Carthew, who didn't intend to bid, had a moment of leisure and looked round him. He beheld the moonlight on the sea, the money piled and scattered in that incongruous place, the perturbed faces of the players. He felt in his own breast the familiar tumult, and it seemed as if there rose in his ears a sound of music, and the moon seemed still to shine upon a sea. But the sea was changed, and the casino towered from among lamp-lit gardens, and the money clinked on the green board. Good God, he thought, am I gambling again? He looked the more curiously about the sandy table. He and Mac had played and won like gamblers. The mingled gold and silver lay by their places in the heap. Amalu and Hempstead had each more than held their own, but Tommy was cruel far to leeward, and the captain was reduced to perhaps fifty pounds. I say, let's knock off, said Carthew. Give that man a glass of buckle, said someone and a fresh bottle was opened, and the game went inexorably on. Carthew was himself too heavy a winner to withdraw or to say more, and all the rest of the night he must look on at the progress of this folly, and make gallant attempts to lose with not the uncommon consequence of winning more. The first dawn of the 11th February found him well-nigh desperate, it chanced he was then dealer and still winning he had just dealt a round of many tens every one had staked heavily the captain had put up all that remained to him twelve pounds in gold and a few dollars and carthew looking privately at his cards before he showed them found he held a natural see here you fellows he broke out this is a sickening business and i'm done with it for one so saying, he showed his cards, tore them across, and rose from the ground. The company stared and murmured in mere amazement, but Max stepped gallantly to his support. We've had enough of it, I do believe, said he, but of course it was all fun, and here's my counters back. All counters in, boys, and he began to pour his winnings into the chest 
which stood fortunately near him. Carthew stepped across and wrung him by the hand. I'll never forget this, he said. And what are ye going to do with the highway boy and the plumber? inquired Mac in a low tone of voice. They've both won, you see. That's true, said Carthew aloud. Amalu and Hempstead, count your winnings. Tommy and I pay that. It was carried without speech, the pair glad enough to receive their winnings. It mattered not from whence, and Tommy, who had lost about five hundred pounds, delighted with the compromise. And how about Mac? asked Hempstead. Is he to lose all? I beg your pardon, plumber. I'm sure ye mean well, returned the Irishman, but you'd better shut your face, for I'm not that kind of a man. If I thought I had won that money fair, there's never a soul here could get it from me. But I thought it was in fun. That was my mistake, you see. There's no band big enough upon this island to give a present to my mother's son. So there's my opinion to ye, plumber, and you can put it in your pocket till required. Well, I will say, Mac, you're a gentleman, said Carthew, as he helped him to shovel back his winnings into the treasure chest. Devil a fear of it, sir, a drunken sailor man, said Mac. The captain had sat some while with his face in his hands. Now he rose mechanically shaking and stumbling like a drunkard after a debauch but as he rose his face was altered and his voice rang out over the aisle sail ho all turned at the cry and there in the wild light of the morning heading straight for midway reef was the brig flying scud of hull end of part two and end of chapter twenty three